verse 14. Continuing in our series in the book of Mark, and just really glad to have you this morning. Uh, if this is your first time here, you've maybe never experienced a church like we have. We have, have uh, a certain way of praying together, a certain way of, of going through our worship service, and maybe that's unique and different to you. So uh, thanks for, for taking the plunge and, and just being here uh, in a new environment, if this is new for you. We tend to go uh, through books of the Bible and talk about them as they come up and let the scriptures order our understanding of what the truth is. We believe truth is found here in the scriptures. And so in a minute, I'm going to read this and we're going to thank the Lord for the scriptures that he has given to us because we believe that he has revealed himself to us. And we're in Mark chapter nine today. Another passage about Jesus casting out demons. And this is one of Mark's favorite topics to talk about how Jesus makes the powers of this world flee before him and casting out demons. And so this is actually the longest passage about that. We've talked about it a number of times and talked about kind of the mysterious and the mystical elements of, of Scripture. Today we're going to be talking about prayer, because more than a passage about demon possession, this is a passage actually about prayer and what kind of prayers we should have as a community. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning, and I want to close today by encouraging you to think about coming to our prayer service that's going to be starting uh, next week. So let's read this together. This is Mark chapter 9. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowds, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. I've told some of you before that I have this book idea, Contract Pending, um, where I describe the, the theology of, of uh, prayer in movies. So you can see some certain patterns of the way people pray in movies. And 
it kind of falls along several different lines, but a couple of different ones that kind of show up all the time is uh, first what we might call the, the, uh, the Hail Mary kind of, of, of prayer, which is, you know, God, if there is a God, right? How many movies have you seen that has that phrase? Like, God, if there is a God, or God, if you're up there, right? And so you... It's kind of this hail mary. It's like I don't know if you're up there or not, but I'm going to to shoot this. I'm shoot for this. I'm going to try for it. Might as well give it a shot. That kind of praying. And uh, one great example of this is in the 1994 film uh, Angels in the Outfield. You guys remember that movie? Man, wow, what a movie! Sorry if that's your favorite movie ever, but that one of the most ridiculous plots of any movies I've ever seen in my life. I mean, the kid sadly, is in a broken family, and, and uh, there's a divorce happening, and there's this kid, and he, he watches the angels play baseball, and so then he, he makes one of these Hail Mary prays, like, God, if you're up there, would you help the angels win the pennant? Help them win games. Now, why does he want them to win games? Because his dad made an offhand joke, or an offhand statement saying, when the angels win the pennant, then our family can get back together again. And so he makes this prayer, and then lots of ridiculous things ensue with angels coming and, and helping the baseball players throw, you know, 150-mile-an-hour fastballs, and all kinds of stuff happens so that the angels can win the pennant because God is there to help him uh, do what he needs to be done in his life. And so he prays this way, hey, if, you're, if you care at all, will you just do this for me? That's the first kind of prayer we see in movies. The second kind is often, God, I deserve this, so you better make it happen. That kind of prayer. It's a kind of a prayer of self-sufficiency, of self-dependence. And a great example of this is from the, the movie Shenandoah, classic movie, 1965, Jimmy Stewart. And um, he prays what has become known as the unthanksgiving prayer. This old crotchety man, he's lost his wife, he's angry with God, there's a beautiful resolution at the end of the movie, but he, he's sitting down with his family and he's, he's very angry with God and he's very upset and he, he's very self-reliant and this is what he prays. Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, sowed it and harvested it, we cooked the harvest, we wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for the food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> Hail Mary, if you're able, self-sufficient, this is what I need, this is what I deserve, why can't I have it? Those are the two kinds of prayer offered up in this passage as well. As one father whose son is convulsing and has had this, this spirit possess him, he, he says, if you're able... If you're able, Jesus, can you do this? He doesn't really believe. It's like a Hail Mary. It's like, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but if you're able, will you do this? And then you have the disciples on the other hand, which are basically like, why are we not able to cast out this demon? Self-sufficient. Relying on themselves. And what Jesus does here is He shows us how faith is related to prayer and the, the kinds of prayers that we pray actually reveal a lot about what we, what's going on in our heart in terms of our faith. And so Jesus is frustrated. He, 
He says in verse 19, O faithless generation, how long am I going to have to bear with you? And it's kind of ambiguous there. Is he talking about the Father or is he talking about his disciples? It's like the whole thing is frustrating to him to see this lack of faith. And yet, he's very gracious as well. And so we're going to see this morning that faithful prayer always has two things. It always has two things. Confidence and desperation. Confidence and desperation. Faithful praying always has two things. Confidence and desperation. And we look at these two different characters and the way that they approach Jesus and the way that their faith individually is weak and the way that Jesus rebukes them first and then He returns them to Himself. He rebukes and He returns. And so first, let's look at this problem. One of the problems that we have in prayer often, and it reveals the problem that we have with faith, is that we lack confidence in God. That's God if there is a God. If you're up there, if you care, we lack confidence that God actually can do what He says He's going to do or can do what He says He's going to do. And so you have to see the scene here first. Jesus is coming down off the mountain. We talked about it last week. He's been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's taken his three most trusted disciples. They've been up. They've seen Moses, Elijah. Jesus was transfigured before them. The Father was there. The Holy Spirit was there. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. This holy moment. And they come down off the mountain to squabbling, to fighting. Why are you fighting, he says to his other disciples, his other nine, with these religious leaders? And we see the crowd turns towards Jesus and they're amazed. Immediately, verse 15, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Now normally when Jesus amazes the crowd, it's because he's, he's, um, he's done something amazing, right? He's, he's healed someone and he hasn't healed anybody yet. So why are they amazed? Why are they running up to him? Well, most likely because he's still shining. Remember, the transfiguration is just a repeat of the Sinai moment where Moses was with the Father on the mountain and, and there was a brightness and he was transfigured. He saw God's, the, the, God's backside as he walked away and he had this brightness to his face. And when he came down, the people said, you have to veil yourself because you're still shining so brightly. And so Jesus, in the same way, is coming down the mountain here, and it repeats the Sinai experience. And so he still probably has some sheen to him. So people are amazed, like, wow, this, this man's coming down off the mountain. And Jesus asks what happens, what has happened here. And, and the, this man steps up and says, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his, foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Even though the disciples have been casting out demons, they were not able to cast out this one. And so Jesus then sizes up the problem, and he asked him, how long has this been happening to him? Verse 21. And the man tells him, look, it's been happening since childhood. It often tries to kill him. Basically, this is a really big problem, Jesus. This has been happening so long. And it's tried to kill him. And nobody, your disciples, haven't been able to do it. And so all of this leads him to, to have this weak faith where he basically says, if you can, 
Give it a shot. And the reason why is that he's already lost his faith. The disciples have already let him down. And Jesus rebukes him first, and then he returns him to himself. He says, if you can, verse 23, this kind of indignant approach, if you can, it's a challenge to his authority. And so you need to ask, what, what is Jesus rebuking here? What is, why is he uh, rebuking this man? And there's a couple of different things we need to see here. He's, re- he's rebuking the man because, first of all, he's revealing that the man doesn't actually have faith in him. He has more faith in his disciples. So Jesus was not there, and, and the disciples were not able to do it. And now, because the disciples were not able to do it, he believes that Jesus is not able to do it. He's not sure that he has confidence in Jesus. And so Jesus, in a sense, is saying, don't doubt my power because my followers have failed. Don't doubt my power because my followers have failed. The followers of Jesus are not Jesus. And I think this is a really important thing for us to take a break and just say for a moment because I I know that what causes a lack of confidence in us when we want to say, God, if you're up there, God, if you care, God, if you can. The reasons why we often say that is because we've had a bad experience with another Christian who claimed to have some authority, and it hurt us, and it, it made us suspicious of God. And maybe that's the reason why your faith is weak, why you don't feel like you can say, I know you can. I trust you. You say, rather, if you're up there, if you care. And as real as those things are, and they're very real, it's very real when Christians abuse authority and when, uh, when Christians act in such a way that shames the name of Christ and when people act in a way that makes you say, I just don't want to have anything to do with this. But you have to hear Jesus' rebuke too because you need to ask yourself, Do you have faith in other people or do you have faith in Jesus? I am a bad person to have complete faith in. You've got to have some faith in me to be here this morning, right? But but to have complete faith, this is a failing enterprise. And so is everyone else if they're not Jesus. Maybe that's the reason why you don't have confidence. And he... He's had this bad experience with the disciples. He had heard all these stories about how Jesus can heal. And he comes to his disciples and it's just a big disappointment. Jesus reminds him, I can. That's part of the rebuke. The other part of the rebuke is this. Listen, you need to have some faith to see this through. Now he says something very interesting here. All things are possible for one who believes. And so it raises up an interesting question here. What's the relationship between Jesus' action and our belief? Do we need to believe a lot in order for Jesus to act? Is there kind of like a belief-o-meter, right? A prayer meter, right? Like where you pray, 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 you know, and then it like finally hits this thing. It's like, okay, now I can, now I'll do something for you. That would be something that we might infer from what Jesus said. All things are possible for those who believe. What's that relationship? Like, well, we need to think about this from a big picture biblical perspective. And the first thing you need to see is this. Look, faith itself is a gift. 
Faith is a gift. It does not originate with you. I could show you many scripture passages that show you this. So, if you do believe, it's not because it originates with you or because you have a ton of faith to begin with. You have to be given faith to believe. So the very faith that you have is a gift. Let me just quote a Puritan here. This is one of those old dead guys. Says something great, and it's kind of in old English here, but I think you'll get it. He says this. This is Richard Sibbs. God knoweth we have nothing of ourselves. We have nothing. Therefore, in the covenant of grace, he requireth no more than he giveth. And he giveth what he requireth. And he accepteth what he giveth. He requires no more than he gives. He gives what he requires and he accepts what is given. It's all of God. Second, of course, God is not dependent on us to do what he wants or wills. He's not dependent on us. Again, God does things all the time without human faith. He's not waiting on your faith to reach a certain level or point for him to accomplish his will. So all those caveats aside, we have to say, and yet... Jesus says when, all, when, when you believe, all things are possible. There's this other thing in the scripture which shows us that even though he does what he wants, what he wills, and when he wants, he most often chooses to work where faith is pre- present, like in this passage. And another example would be Mark 6, just a few chapters before. Remember, Jesus is in his hometown, and it says he could do no work there. Because his hometown rejected him. He's like, I'm, I'm out of here. There's no faith here. James chapter 1 would be another example. If you, if you lack wisdom, James says, ask God. He gives it freely. But don't doubt, he says. Do so without doubting. For the one who doubts should not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now what he's saying there is, is not like if there's a sliver of doubt, then God won't do it. What he's saying is, look, if you are a doubting person, if you don't believe in God, if you don't trust in him, why would you expect him to do all these things for you? Like He may do it. He can do what he wants. But why would you expect it? And so here he's saying, look, you need to believe in me. You need to have faith in me. And I'll show you what I can do. I am able So Jesus rebukes first, but then he provides a return to this man who lacks confidence. Because the man rightfully prays the right thing. He says this in this famous prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus does. He helps his unbelief. He takes what little faith he has And he gives him more by showing him what he is able to do. And I know that many of us have weak faith this morning. We lack confidence in God. Earlier this week, I was staying at um, a hotel, Embassy Suites. And um, some of you know my phone died this horrible death this weekend, or last week. And uh, the Embassy Suites, you know, it's got a big lobby in the middle. And then it's got all the rooms go up on the side, overlook the lobby. And... um, we, I'm wrestling kids' stuff and bags and stuff into this room and um, put the key card in. I have my phone like in the crook of my neck and I drop my phone as I open the door and it rolls six feet end over end like, and goes through the two-inch railing and drops six stories down onto the, the cold, hard 
uh, tile below, and it died. Um, I thought that it was going to be like a zillion pieces. It was in three pieces. Um, and so I, it was ha cut in half, and then there was other piece that was broken off. And so I, I put it back together again, and I took it back to my, my room. Um, and then the craziest thing happened. So I'm, you know, I'm, I've, I've grieved, I've mourned. Um, and then um, later, I'm doing something else, and all of a sudden, bzz, I hear it buzz. And there's no screen action. I can't see it at all, like, but, but it keeps doing it. I'm still receiving these communications from someone. Sorry if it was you, and you needed something. You needed your pastor. I wasn't available um, to you. But it still worked. It was still there, but it wasn't like clear. I couldn't see who was communicating with me. And listen, it's a silly example, but it's, I know that, that many of you have this experience where you, you've just been You've been busted up. You have weak faith. You've been broken by, by something, by a, a leader, or by maybe your own wandering and your own study, and you're like, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I don't know if he's able to do what I need him to do, and I'm not sure that he's real. And so when you come to a place like this, it's kind of like a faint buzz. You've been busted up. You're pretty sure it's not really working that well, but something is there, but you're not sure what it is. You can't see it. It's not, it's not necessarily known by you. And it feels very weak, and it feels very faint. What do you do? You return to Jesus with this very prayer. I believe it's still there, but you've got to help my unbelief. I don't have enough Faith. Don't make the mistake of walking away from him because you don't have enough faith. Ask for more faith. He gives it. And you keep asking him. There's a story in Scripture of the persistent widow. It's, it's a passage about prayer. It's about this widow who keeps coming to this judge and persistently asking him for her justice. And so we have to do the same thing over and over again sometimes. Because our confidence doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from a leader. It doesn't come from a complete understanding. It comes from returning to Jesus and Him giving us faith over and over again. So some of us lack confidence. And it's reflected in our prayer, God, if you're able. And it's reflected in our faith. We don't really believe that He's there. And so this is how we pray. I believe. Help my unbelief. But there's a second problem with our faith and a second problem with our prayer. Some of us lack desperation. We lack desperation. This is the disciples who are wondering not if he's able, but why they are not able to cast out this demon. And Jesus, again, rebukes them and provides a return. He rebukes, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You have to understand, Jesus has just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. His three closest disciples have misunderstood that moment. We talked about it last week. Hey, let's create a worship service here. Let's never leave. When really that moment was about Jesus. It wasn't about Moses and Elijah. And so his three have failed him. And then he comes down the mountain and his other nine are arguing. And have demonstrated a lack of faith and ability. 
Jesus has told these, his disciples that they can cast out demons. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. But they're having trouble with this one. And so Jesus says that this kind can't be driven out by what they've done before. It's a different kind. There's a hierarchy of the spiritual world, so to speak. And, and so these disciples, they can't do it without prayer. But the reason why is they're struggling with this overconfidence and this pride. And this is not the only time this happens. In Luke chapter 10, there's a similar story. Jesus sends out the 72 to cast out demons and to heal. And, and the, they come back to Jesus, all of these disciples who have been given this authority, and, and they're so ecstatic. I mean, they're like, they're amazed at the power that they have, that they've been given. And they say to Jesus, even, even the demons, they flee from us. They're subject to us. And Jesus, what does he say to them? He doesn't say, good job. He says, don't rejoice in that. I gave you that authority. Of course they flee before you. I I gave you my power. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. The, The more amazing thing, the greater mystery, is that you have a place at this table. Not that I have authority. I have proven my authority and given it to you. But rejoice, not in your own power. They get obsessed with their knowledge and their power and they leave Jesus behind. They lose that sense of desperation knowing that that power comes from Him. It doesn't come from themselves. And so when they lose that, they become impotent to do His will. So Jesus rebukes them here as in Luke 10 and then He provides a return. And He tells them that they can cast this out. But... It's not by what they've done before, and it's certainly not in their own power. It's verse 29. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And many other, if you see a little asterisk there, a little footnote, go down to the bottom of your Bible. It says, some manuscripts add and fasting. Prayer and fasting. There's a few places like this in Scripture where minor Changes have happened, and we can talk about that more at the end of Mark's Gospel because there's another one coming up. I don't want you to lose confidence in God's Word. It's, it's, these are very understandable things once you talk about them. But there's a, in a sense, it doesn't matter if that says prayer or prayer and fasting because there's other places in Scripture I could point to that tie prayer and fasting together to this very thing, to this dependence on God. What is he saying to them? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but by prayer and fasting. He's saying, you haven't been on your knees. You've started to believe that I helped you at the beginning, and now you continue in your own power, that you have the power. And so he's saying, the return back to me is a return to prayer and fasting. It's a return to desperation. And so he tells his disciples this, and we need to see this as the disciples of Jesus in this room. Have we lost our desperation and our dependence on God in prayer? Have we become like Jimmy Stewart and Shenandoah? It's like, basically, I believe that everything that I have is because of me. My intellect, my work ethic. It's pretty easy to do that 
to become kind of quietly certain that God is going to continue to bless you in the predictable ways that he has and that, that the things that he's given you are, are basically now you're right. And so some of us lack confidence. I'm not sure if he's real. And some of us lack desperation. And our lives are on autopilot and we continue to try to live them without him. But the return is the same. It's a return to Jesus on your knees. Because what ties these two problems together, this overconfidence and this underconfidence, is at the end of the day, what you kind of believe under all of that is that it's on you, and it's not. It's on him. It's dependent on his power. I want to close today just by talking for a few minutes. I didn't even plan to do this until yesterday, but I decided it would be a great opportunity to talk about the ministry that we're starting uh, next week. We're going to start something called Evensong. We've done it once before here. We're going to do it in the context of my living room uh, starting next week. And I just thought I couldn't pass up this opportunity to talk about it here, having been kind of soaking in, the, in prayer for this week. And uh, so next week, just some of the details of it, we're starting this, pl- this place, this gathering, where we can sing. It's very simple. Sing, pray, share. Um, I don't even fully know what it will be yet. It's, it's going to be informal. Coffee and tea, just hanging out together and expressing a desperation for the Lord. And I just wanted to describe for a few minutes why, where that came from. And by the way, if you're, if you're part of a GC, um, you can still go to that. We did this intentionally on Sunday nights so that you can be part of a GC and you can come to this if you want. Uh, if you're not able to come to a GC during the week, then this would also be a great place to connect um, on Sunday evenings. And it's an experiment. We're trying it for this first trimester of our year, and we'll see how it goes. But the reason why is that, that I wanted to start this is several different things were happening at once in me. And I feel like the Lord is moving in lots of different directions in me. And this was kind of the product of, of thinking through lots of things. And so there's three, three things that led me to want to start this. First is I wanted to start encouraging a, a more full Sabbath. I think that Sabbath rest and worship is something that is extremely lacking in our culture and is one of the things that ails us. It's one of the problems that we have in our mechanistic approach to everything to try to figure out the problems and answers to problems often is found in resting and worshiping God. And, uh, you know, our confession of faith, we have something called the Westminster Confession of Faith, and it says that the Sabbath should be taken up all day in in rest and worship. And this is not in a legalistic way. You know, our culture around here is very grace-centered. But I wanted to provide an opportunity where we could have more worship together and more rest. That was the first reason. The second reason is I've had this growing desire to see more of our faith in action. And I love our, uh, our liturgy on Sunday mornings. I want to change that. I mean, maybe some changes will happen eventually. But like, I love that we gather around the things that are most important. Jesus Christ, we pray together. We confess our sins. We hear from him in his word. We come to his table every week. It's beautiful. It's, it's what forms us into his image. But there's just been this growing desire as well that I want to hear more of you pray. 
I want to hear more of what's going on in your life, and I want to hear what God's doing, and to see that transformation. And I do believe that that renewal or revival or whatever that you want to call that, that, that outpouring of God's Spirit does happen in small po- pockets of warmth where people hit their knees and pray. And I want to start that here. And the third reason is exactly because of what we've talked about today. We need more of a place of prayer. A place where those who lack confidence can come and meet God. And also those who lack desperation, many of us, can be on our knees and see again that everything that we have is from him and that he is the vine and we are the branches and apart from him we can do nothing. And so I wanted us to have a place to do that. So this is not binding, legalistic or whatever, I just want to encourage you. Uh, It doesn't start tonight, it starts next week. We'll have uh, a gathering at 5 o'clock at our house and we'll love to have as many of you you as can come and pray, and cry out in desperation, and cry out in confidence, knowing because we are his beloved children. We can have confidence in him, but we also need desperation. Let's pray.